0: Welcome to the Ink Feather Podcast. We bring you fun and new insights into the world of fantasy and science fiction publishing. Here you'll find interviews with the authors you love, insight from industry professionals, book reviews both succinct and extensive, and more. I'm your host and the founder of Ink Feather Book Reviews, Lauren Zurchin. Today we are kicking off our throwback interviews where we revisit some of my favorite interviews from years past. This was recorded for Litharus.com and it features authors Lee Bardugo and Marissa Meyer from San Diego Comic Con 2013. It is one of the most engaging and delightful interviews I've ever done. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Elitharist. This is Lauren in your Managing Book Editor at San Diego Comic-Con 2013. And I am here with two awesome ladies, New York Times bestsellers, whose series I have talked about and I'm really excited to share. We're going to do a dual interview. So I'm here with Marissa Meyer and Lee Bardugo. Ladies, say hi. Hi. Hello. So for those who are listening, um, I'll let you do a little quick spill, you know, Tell us what the names of your books are and give a really quick summary of what, what the series is about. So, Marissa, you can start first.
1: Okay. Uh, so, I'm Marissa Meyer. I'm the author of The Lunar Chronicles, uh, which currently consists of Cinder, which is a science fiction retelling of Cinderella, retold as if Cinder uh, Cinderella were a teenage girl who's part human or part machine, uh, which is called a cyborg. Book two, Scarlet, came out last February, and it is my Little Red Riding Hood retelling in which Little Red Riding Hood is a spaceship pilot trying to find her missing grandmother with the help of a city street fighter called Wolf. Uh, Book three will be out next February. It's called Press, and that one's my Rapunzel retelling.
0: I'm very excited for all these books. Hello. (laughs) This is Leigh Bardugo. Um, I, I should say I'm a huge fan of Cinder and Scarlet, and I'm super excited about Press. The reasons we will discuss later. But um, uh, I am the author of Shadow and Bone and Siege and Storm, the first two books in the Grisha trilogy. They are, uh, it's a fantasy series set in a world inspired by Tsarist Russia about a country that's been torn into by a swath of darkness um, called the Shadowfold, and about a girl, Alina Starkov. Um, she's a, a nothing and a no one until her regiment is attacked and she reveals a power that puts her on a collision course with the most powerful forces in the kingdom. Um, I feel like we should set the scene, too. We're sitting in the lobby of a very nice hotel at Comic-Con, and we just saw one of the True blood actors, and there are rumors of Game of Thrones actors roaming about. So if one of us suddenly starts to scream, um, <laughs> or if you hear security being called, you'll know what's going well, on. Well, not just
1: rumors. I actually met Igret last night it was That's real
0: cool. <laughs> yeah last year i did an interview and uh r2d2 randomly rolled through in the middle and we we're like all right so <laughs> comic con people anything can happen it's crazy up in here okay so we're going to kind of touch on the general themes i wanted to get these two together because not only am i big fans of their books but i liked that even though their books are very different and very fresh and unique feeling there are some interesting kind of themes that that their stories share and so one of the main ones is the folk fairy tale the taking of an old idea and giving it a new rework talk to us about you know your experience with doing that and you know pros and cons to that you know do you think that's something that should be done more in the world like is it something that's been overdone and you feel like you hit it at the right time I mean both of you are kind of you know folk is one and fairy tales kind of the other but it's still the same kind of idea
1: yeah, I, I don't think it can be overdone um, just because, you know, these stories have been around for hundreds and some cases thousands of years, and yet the fact that we continue to see these retellings uh, and you continue to see creators doing very new, interesting things with them, I think says, you know, they're, they're archetypal stories that have burrowed their way into our culture, into our subconscious, and I don't think that's ever going to be old. Um, And so I I love seeing what creators do, taking these these stories that we're all so familiar with and yet giving them really new, interesting twists, Um, and I think that's really fascinating, you know, as a as a writer, but also as a reader, I enjoy seeing you know, all the different things you can do. And
0: I think for me as a reader, like, that's one of the, the sort of like, delicious perks of reading a retelling, is sort of piecing together the way that the author chose to introduce these kind of um, old archetypes into the story and these old symbols into the story. Um, I, you know, my books are not retellings. They're, um, uh, they're certainly a heavy influence of uh, folklore uh, in the world. But most of the folk tales um, within the story come just sort of my from my brain pan. Um, <laughs> uh, but some of the symbology, uh, like the firebird and the stag, is very much tied to um, old folk and uh, fairy tale and, and myth. Um, and but and I will say too, like when I wrote my short stories for Toir, um, they are, uh <laughs> like one is a Hansel and Gretel retelling, but like a very Rovkin. It's a very special episode. It's a very Ravkin uh, retelling of Hansel and Gretel, and the second is like Red Riding Hood, but you would have to dig pretty deeply to find uh, those stories buried in there. But I wanted to sort of take um, Western myth and Western fairy tale and, and give it um, give it over to the kind of um, brutal world that I created and, and see what the mythology might be that would have grown out of that. See, the reason I, I I like this question is because. It's not slap you in the face obvious for either of your books. I mean, your book is called Cinder Marissa. And so we know, okay. But I kind of was like, oh, there it is. There's this few little bits. I mean, it was so original. And yours too, like you're saying there's these old elements and and you read them, you're kind of going, okay, this feels familiar to me. But, you know, it's able to present the information in a fresh way that, you know, if anything, might spark interest in these old tales and, and bring them to new life. So I think for me there's also the goal, and I think it's true for, like, any time you're building a new world, you want to give the sense that it's been there for a long time. You know, you want to have the idea that these places have their own mythologies and that they have their own cultures and they have this sense of, um, of, of a much broader world than the story you're telling within it.
1: Yeah. And I think with storytelling, and and obviously I knew that I was retelling these classic stories. um, And so, you know, it's up to the the creator to choose well, what are the iconic things that I want to include from this tale? Um, And, you know, what do I want to completely change and make brand new and all my own? And what do I want to you know, at what what point do I want the reader to have that ping moment and it's like, oh, that's right, it's a Cinderella story.
0: Well, and Litherous, for those of you who don't know, I will link to it but I did interview both of these lovely people separately and we talked about some of these things in in more depth but I think I remember you saying, Marissa, about how yours was Cinderella meets the evil queen from Snow White, is that correct? Mm -hmm. So, like the meshing up two completely different fairy tales but, and that made me go, oh Something
1: right, about. and as the series goes on, it's actually the meshing of four different fairy tales as they all kind of string yeah. together and, and all the different characters kind of meet up um, on this crusade to defeat the evil queen, who is the evil queen from Snow White. That's very cool.
0: Okay, so kind of delving into the protagonists, um, you both have these awesome women who... Um, how did you, Marissa emailed me? she was saying that you know these strong female protagonists who start out undervalued, and I, that that actually oh, resonated with me really. very strongly because it's very true uh, for both of your stories. They they you know they have somewhat humble beginnings in different ways, um, depending. Well, you have different you know Marissa's got a couple things going on in her series, <laughs> but um, you know we we have these beautiful women who are strong and have to kind of grow and that has to emerge as the story goes. How was it trying to create a world and create a series that allowed them the growth they need and still made them complex characters and still fit the the themes that you were trying to carry, but... Needing them to be their own individual voices—that does does that make sense. I mean, it was kind of like ten things at once. Yeah, and, and I they actually, awesome? I can't
1: take credit for the suggestion of that topic because I've heard Lee speak about her book um, a number of times, and which is a good thing. I love Lena. Please I love her. put me out of my mind. <laughs> no, but um, you know, when Lee talks about her book, this is one element she brings up: is how Alina. You know, starts out as just this kind of you know puny, wimpy, completely unappreciated girl, and it isn't until the, the people realize that she has this internal power that she really starts to kind of thrive and come to life. Well, she
0: goes from the weakest to the strongest. Exactly. I mean, she goes from orphan to the most powerful. yeah. It's
1: funny
0: you should mention this. Um, because I was just writing a a blog post um that touched on the idea of fairy tale retellings. And one of the things I was talking about is um,
1: the way that the
0: fairy godmother archetype is disappearing from our retellings, that the idea of the mentor is no longer trustworthy, and then in your retelling of Cinder, you have a you have a, a girl who's not noticed because of her beauty. You know, there's no makeover in terms of like her becoming like that's not why she gains the prince notice, it's because of a skill, which is really pretty subversive, you know, and it's a very like traditionally masculine skill, so you know and and you know is like kind of the closest thing to a fairy godmother but it's more like a companion as opposed to somebody who's like going to get you out of difficult situations all the time you know with a wave of a magic wand um so i think that that's sort of a very different way of approaching um you know i I think we tend to rely on the idea of like well they're not damsels in distress anymore which is like yeah we get that but there are these very particular ways that these characters are being empowered and I mean, for Alina, speaking of rambling on through 12 things, no, that's where I wasn't because
1: I- really, <laughs> Alina doesn't have a fairy godmother either. She has this power that's suppressed within her and she's the one that's,
0: yeah, I mean, yeah, no, no, we're no. So, no. Talking. No. It's, it's, it's We're assuming you've read some of, if not all of these books, people. Because you should, because they're. Like, and I, okay, can I just say how great it is that they're like, no, but your book, no, but your book. Like, we're fans, this is wonderful, this is why, this is awesome. But see, it's, it's always easier to talk about. It's, to talk to it's like, oh, well, your book, this is awesome. But, I, you know, it's funny because one of the themes in, especially in your second book, is how alone she feels. Yeah, like, no mm-hmm. one can relate to her. And that's actually something the Darkling uses to screw her head a little bit. Like nothing can no one relates to you but me. Yeah. And and so do you you know Well, I will say that a theme for the series is is um is how she um there was, I'm waving to someone. Um <laughs> I'm also in a gull. Um I will say God, that God. one of the um themes of the story is um the way Alina builds um, trust with people or fails to build trust with people. Um, And it's sort of hard to talk about that without um, revealing spoilers. Yes, But that's also, you know, the way that power isolates you as well as empowers you. You know, we talked about the idea that Alina started out as um, a nothing and a no one. Well, one of the things that she needs to recognize and that a number of characters come to recognize in the course of the story is that that's also what it means to be of a particular class in this story. Like, it's not just about you're a nothing and no one, and then you get empowered, and wow, look, everything's great. It's like, yeah, you may have that power, but what about everybody else who's being sent to the front, and what about everybody else who's living in poverty, you know, that, that there's um, another side to being a nothing or a no one, and, and being invisible, and then becoming visible through power, what you do with it. You know, you just said you were writing a blog post about the disappearance of the fairy godmother. Do you... Do you feel that that's just because of the trend of the way YA is running these days, where you need this like girl who can do it on her own, that she's not weak, she needs to be strong? Um, I think there's actually sort of a, a, a deeper thing going on, and I wrote about it in terms of like the classic makeover versus um, the way that we're seeing makeovers evolve, like how um, you know the, that. Actually, in fairy tale, the idea, the most subversive element of a fairy tale is the idea that um, beauty trumps class, which is a lie. Back in the day in this kind of, you know, this cod medieval world and, and in the Victorian world and, and, and you know, France of the 18th century, when these things were being codified, she said, letting her geek streak show. Um, yes, go, but when these things were <laughs> happening, um, <laughs> you know, the class trumped all. And then you enter a world where then, then beauty overtakes that, you know, and that is, that's nonsense. If you're beautiful, you don't necessarily want to catch the eye of a king or an woman. like that would not and you're not going to end up a princess. You know, you might, if you're lucky, end up a mistress, but you're not going to end up, you know, it, it's, it, that was sort of one of the great lies of a fairy tale. And so I think we've seen. That's a great point. Thank you. Um, you. <laughs> every so often I walk into one, but um, there's uh, so I think that the idea of what the makeover does and what it can do for you now we live in a society where classes have become more compressed, and where in fact actually you know there are you know though they are few and far between but there are stories of people who go to Hollywood and become stars and where beauty actually can trump class um, so the makeover has had to evolve and our idea of um, you know what, what the magic, magic property in that makeover has changed as well um, but in terms of fairy goddess, you can cut all that out if you want. Well, no, fairy it's fairy fascinating. Like, I think we also don't trust authority in the same way that we used to. And so it's not that these mentors don't exist. They do exist in a number of stories, but they're often untrustworthy. Like, in Divergent, in City of Bones, mm-hmm. um, in all of these series, you know, you have these people who are like, I'm going like, to take, in my series switch. I'm going to take you, I'm going to guide you, yes, I'm going to totally. make you over, and then I'm going to destroy you. You right. know, like, like that's... Um, that's yeah, a very different my, way of looking at I have
1: Dr. Erlan too, who does help Cinder oftentimes, but is he a trustworthy guy? Well, well and he, he has his own agenda. He like,
0: was the one I thought of when you were saying, like, Carrie Godmother. I was like, oh, yeah, there's the, there's the, that other the robot is kind of like pseudo-mom-ish, uh-huh. you know, but, but he's the one I think of because even though, is he trustworthy, it seems like he has, I don't know if he has her, her best intentions at heart, but he seems to Want to have good intentions or his overall goals yeah. seem to be likely. said, he totally
1: has his own agenda yeah, and nothing
0: absolutely. is yeah. From that. Yeah, it is very interesting how, um, and we sort of, you know, this is sort of summing up, you know, we're talking about these fairy tales, but yet both women are, you know, leads in your books are, their makeovers are strength and a skill, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's kind of like this juxtaposition, which is really yeah. cool. Yeah, and in,
1: in both of them, you know, they are elevated status and in class-wise. You know, Cinder more so in in the second book, and it's kind of an ongoing process. Um, But that's one of the things that Cinder has to to face throughout the series is, is it a good thing to suddenly have all this power when she's, you know, completely unprepared for it? Um, And, you know, she has always seen herself as nothing but a mechanic. And now people are trying to tell her, you know, you you have this responsibility. and Not even just a mechanic, but
0: like a cyborg leader. Exactly. exactly almost yeah, like the lowest, lowest. low yeah mm-hmm. very much so this is very very good i actually i'm 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 not wanting to change topics here but i, I do want to think we need to talk about how these themes are carried throughout the arcs of your your series because things ebb and flow through each book but you know, as you're developing these stories and developing the, the outlines, are are these direct issues, things that you're immediately aware of? Is the story kind of the characters evolve, or you just sort of have your plot points that you touch um, to help keep them growing and, and struggling with these, well, I guess they're, you know, they're, we're talking really well about class here, and... and, and fighting your upbringing and what you have perceived yourself to be, really, for so long.
1: Yeah, I tend to be pretty unaware of any big themes in my work until probably about the third or fourth draft. Um, I feel like, you know, first draft, second draft, it's all about what is the plot, what is the story, where do things progress, um, getting to know the characters. And then once you have that, you know, starts to kind of come together, then you can look at it and be like, so, okay, I have this character. Well what is her biggest concern? What is her, her biggest motivation? What is her internal problem that she's fighting with and coming to deal with? Um, and, and so then at that point, once I can start looking at those things and figuring out what exactly have I written here, then I might start thinking consciously, okay, well, how do we bring that out more? Flesh this... it out. Uh, I'm... I'm... In the
0: same boat, like I think that there are things that work their way in without you realizing them, yeah. um, and then sometimes I'll step back and be like, "Wow, that was spectacularly obvious!" Like, <laughs> like I didn't realize I was being that blatant about yeah. it. But at the same but,
1: time, every now and then I'll have a moment because I get that too. But sometimes I'll have a moment was like, "Wow, this is super profound!" Like I had no idea you weren't yeah. even trying to be You're like, "Wow, oh, I'm so awesome right I'm now." So
0: deep. Um, I, I think I, I sort of see the themes more broadly when when I'm able to step back from the work and, and after. And and I think the the process of writing a draft really is one of um, getting the beats there and getting the emotional beats there. I
1: think I don't.
0: um, I think for me that that you know everything always comes back to um, how I really legitimately feel the character would react to a situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes you know I may have a plot point that I've had in that outline for over a year, and uh, and the character's like that. No, like yeah. that's that's not legit. That, <laughs> that, that this this yeah. reaction would never take place. This isn't. You're gonna have to find another way to get from A to B. Um, and, and I think you just have to be open to that. I think readers really are sensitive to moments when something feels forced in that way. Um, and, and it is, for me at least, if I'm reading, I find that insane making, you know, like if somebody's been one particular character and all of a sudden they switch gears. Well, you're just yeah. like, what the heck? Who is yeah. this person? Or where somebody's been very smart and they suddenly dumbed down. Or when somebody's been dumb and all of a sudden they're like, a right. fantastic hat.
1: revelation. And, no. you know, as soon as you start losing the reader's trust in that, then it's really hard to get it back.
0: Um, agreed. Agreed. Okay, so we're going to end on one final question. We have these lovely rakish men. Yes, <laughs> Thank you. That, you. that are just guys. So delicious. delicious. I prefer the term roguish. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, you caught I know really <laughs> Okay, That's so that. in this corner, we have Marcus Thorne. <laughs> who is just delicious, he's, I won't even lie. Right. Thank you. And in the other corner we have Lise Sturmund. Yes so. we do. How, how uh, now we're gonna so who would win a drinking and or gambling contest between these beautiful people? Does, does, does Stormont
1: ever gamble in the books? Is that because I can see him doing it? He never
0: gambles unless he knows he's going to win. He will never get involved in a fair. Oh, Thorne like
1: will gamble just because it sounds like no, fun. No. This is like
0: high school debate. <laughs> like, this is yeah. your side, and then no, because, Okay, do no, tell your side. They, I think that Thorne could <laughs> outdrink Stormont because um, he doesn't really drink that much. He's very, oh. like, Stormont looks like one thing for me. So from I could outside. get him drunk easily,
1: is what you're telling me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Captain, show me to your, you really like your, your husband is sitting like five feet away from us. I had to let like, go on about Egret all day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um. Yeah. Okay. All I can say <laughs> is... So you're saying your character's a sissy. He doesn't gamble and he doesn't drink. No, I'm saying my character is smart and he doesn't get involved in a fight he can't win. Ah, and he yes. doesn't so fight fair. I mean, I don't think he's a sissy, but Thorne doesn't like, have that. that. Thorne, thorn, no, he's, he's, he's not ready to go. Stormhom isn't <laughs> reckless. He's, well, he, he's, he's, like, shoot first, ask questions <laughs> later. Exactly. Thorne is very yeah. much. Yeah. no. Yeah. Stormhom yeah. looks like... Um, Stormhom uh, does a hell of a job pretending um, to be more brash than he is. But he's... Um,
1: He's always, very calculating.
0: He is incredibly yeah. calculating. Like this guy knows the game like five steps ahead. So and he would be studying Thorn, kind of trying to figure him out. Yep, he would be having yeah. fun and on the surface, but kind of Thorn would, would be totally having taken. A, a, an awesome time, <laughs> and then Stermon would be like, "Got your wallet." Like, <laughs> The essential part is that they be in the same room and that Marissa and I are there. I think that sounds like I'm a delightful. Really like Let me just tell you right now, Marissa's posture: her leg is crossed and her hand is kind of on her chin, and I could just see these two kind of sitting in the corner watching these, these characters kind of be like a well, bottle of wine. You know, yes. like, oh, do go on, <laughs> like you charming, charming. Just lines. go observe this in the making. I, oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm awesome. going to throw this house party. This is going to be <laughs> yes. awesome. Yeah. Maybe we could write a crossword. Apparently, with Thor's Wall. <laughs> Molly is, Molly's gesturing that she wants to be the guest list. Wow. <laughs> Molly is, works with her publisher and she's sitting here going, Yeah, she's nodding over this. <laughs> this is clearly a good, good question. question. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, we're out of time. Um, but I just wanted to say thanks to these guys for sitting down with me and talking plot and fairy tales and beautiful men. <laughs> and you have to read their series if you have not. Um, you know, I've said this a million times. I read a lot. Very few catches me these days. And both of their series have blown me away. I cannot speak highly more highly about them than I than anything I say. I don't even know what I'm saying. I love them. <laughs> I'm tripping over That's myself because I'm like They're, They're good. Okay, so um, Marissa, Lee, thank you. This is really <laughs> thank fun. You. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. All right, and this is Lauren signing out from San Diego Comic-Con 2013. Bye.